Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So today I sit down with fellow Montana hunter Lucas Sterling. Um, Lucas, he lives up in the northwest corner of the state, and the northwest corner of the state holds some big critters, but it is extremely difficult hunting up there. Um, they just have gnarly mountains and, and, and a bunch of underbrush, um, and it's just, it's really tough. And, and Lucas, over the years, has found a way to be consistently successful. He's harvested some giant bucks, both with his, his bow and with his rifle. He's done really well on bulls, and then lately he's really got into wolf hunting, and and my buddies that wolf hunt, um, I've got some hardcore guys that I know that go after them pretty hard, and and man, they are just difficult to harvest. Um, you know, Lucas has been super disciplined, spends the days in the field, covers the miles, and and has been able to to harvest some nice wolves. So we get into that. We talk about mule deer, we talk about elk, we talk about wolf hunting, and and just some of the stuff that's helped us be successful over the years. So I think you guys will enjoy this one. Um, today's sponsor is Gravedigger Broadheads and Bloodsport Arrows. So it's one company, they're producing some really good arrows out there. I've been really happy with their components. Um, and, and then their broadheads, I've just been super impressed with. They've got um, Gravedigger Broadheads, which is a, a hybrid between a, a fixed and, ex, and an expandable. Um, it's got a one-inch fixed uh, blade on it. And, and then the other side, so it's a four blade, and then it's got two expandable blades that open up to an inch and a half cutting diameter. Man, these things are just lethal. Um, I shot a deer and an elk with them last year, and they didn't go anywhere. Um, super impressed with those. They've also got like the most aerodynamic broadhead on the market, and their expandables are just really well designed where they don't come open in the field. They open every time. You can just trust them, but they, they've got a two-blade uh, expandable broadhead. Uh, it's called their um, their Night Fury. And uh, I also shot two animals with that last year. I shot an antelope and then I shot a deer with it. So it's just two blades, but it opens to inch and a half. But this is the most aerodynamic broadhead I've ever shot. The blades really tuck in there. There's hardly anything sticking out. Um, I mean, they, they wind drift like a field point, which, you know... All these expandable companies say that their their broadheads fly like a field point, but you get them on the front of your arrows, and it does affect flight. But these ones fly the best of any broadhead I've ever tested. So I'm super psyched to use these more. So uh, Gravedigger Broadheads, Bloodsport Arrows, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Um, out there at Eastman's, so um, we have the new Eastman's Hunting Journal, which should be hitting your guys' mailbox uh, here within the next couple days. Um, so I've talked about that a little bit. It's the elk issue, some really good pro staff articles in there. And then we have the new Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal coming up after that. Uh, it's the backcountry issue. Um, I've got a project in that one, Outside the Box Gear Ideas. Just a really fun article. It's different than anything I've ever written about. Um, there's also some some other really good staff articles in there. Uh, Dan Picard, he's got a couple of them. He's got um, one in there talking about sleeper spots, um, talking about like chunks of state land here and there. Um, I think that's going to be a really good one. Um, we also, there's a, a giant buck on the cover. It's a giant velvet Colorado killed by Ryan Jacobs. Um, gosh, it's, it's a 200 plus inch typical. I think it scores 202, but just a beautiful buck killed in the high country of Colorado. So, um, really cool issue. Can't wait for that to come out. So that'll be coming next for you guys. Um, and with that, let's, let's get this conversation started. So, um, and me and Lucas Sterling, uh, Eastman's elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm here with Lucas Sterling. Uh, Lucas, how are you? 
I'm doing good, man. Good. Well, I, I met Lucas, and um, like a lot of my guests, I kind of find people through social media, but I first heard of you, um, I remember reading your article in an Eastman's bow hunting journal, and you had killed this giant high country mule deer in Montana, which is really rare. We don't get many high country mule deer in Montana. We have a few, but, but you don't read about them, and they don't make the magazines too often. So that's where I first heard about you, and then we've kind of connected through social media, and we've kind of become friends we've been talking i don't know a couple months now or maybe a month and a half just about different hunts where we're trying to put a hunt together or maybe a hunt film together you do a ton of filming and you filmed like all your hunts for the last handful of years is that right lucas yeah yeah you know i've, I've filmed all my own hunts uh mostly my own um self-filmed stuff uh in the high country public land yeah for probably 10 15 years now i i got oodles and oodles of amounts of video that I, you know, I, uh, I just don't have time to edit it all, but I'm, I'm slowly getting there. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've got a bunch of really good videos out. And so, um, you're, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook and it's, uh, you also, like it's Lucas, uh, Sterling outdoors, right? And you've got some cool videos it, on there. Yeah, for sure. I got some wolf hunts on there and, it's, uh, Sterling's extreme outdoors. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you have some great videos that you've edited down and that is wild. I have so much respect, you know, not only for what you've done on, on public land and self-guided in a really tough spot to do it, but then you've also captured all this film of you doing it, whether it's self-filming and I know you've filmed for other guys too and got some really good footage. Yeah, I've, I've filmed for a lot of other guys and got some cool footage. And like I said, all mine's, you know, mostly self-film, you know, you just go out hunting. I love to hunt and not a lot of guys hunt with my style. So, you know, I work hard <laughs> and guys come with me, you know, for a day or two. And they're like, you know what? I don't want to hunt with you no more. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just go and I go and I go. And then, you know, after the hunt, I, I love sharing it with, with my friends, my family, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And I do all my own editing. I, I'm not an editor, of course. I've, I've kind of self-taught myself to do that. So, yeah, it's, everything's kind of a, a learning experience for me, and I love doing it. I do it as a hobby. I don't do it to make money or anything like that. I just do it because this is what I was – I just love to do it. Yeah, how cool. And, and man, that – it sure ups the degree of difficulty. And I know you have footage from that high country buck you killed with your bow, but I just remember seeing that buck um, in, in the Eastman's bow hunting trail. It was the first time I saw it, and it was just this giant – it's wide. It's got to be over 30 inches wide and just a giant yeah, typical. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a giant typical. It's got two kickers and one eye guard that give it some, uh, I guess, net score issues. But, um, you know – I'm not too caught up in the score stuff. Um, it's 35 inches on the outside, and it's probably sitting at number one or two in the state as far as a typical buck goes. I, I've never really had them. I'm not about the score. You know, a lot of people are. I'm just, for me, as a hunter, as a, a hardcore hunter that I am, I, I'm all about the experience. You know, I, I love a hunt. I love to do it with my friends, I, you know, and to to gain that and have a, a, you know, a memorable hunt like that, dude, that's, that's more for me than score. Um, I get guys every day that, you know, ask me, what's this buck score? What's this buck score? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> even scored half my deer, <laughs> you know, like the double drop time buck there. You know, I got one today. Well, what's, what's the score? I'm just like, I don't know. 
So, <laughs> well, it is. I, but well, I but I have that memory, and you know, and I just I don't know. Dude, I'm I with you. I might be a little bit different <laughs> than than the score thing. Score doesn't matter to me. It's just, it's it's about what you make of that hunt. Yeah, yeah, good for you. Um, well, and it is. It's the experience. I love that attitude that you have, and I I think that's a a winner's attitude or a successful hunter's attitude is when you embrace the experience, embrace the the trials and tribulations, and and being in those those mountains and being self sufficient and packing all your gear in and and working really hard at it and working really hard towards a goal, you know, and then to have it all come together, it, it seems like it just creates this this memory. That that, that lasts the test of time that you can always think back and put yourself in that place. But man, I'm the same way. I love to hunt because I love being there and I love doing it. You know, it's not about looking at the mounts in my house or the scores and, and I score my deer, but, um, you know, I, I haven't entered them in the book. They, they told me it was like 50 bucks a piece. And so I had quite a few officially <laughs> scored and, and then yeah. they told me it was 50 bucks a piece. And I was like, man, well, that's, that's another hunt in a different state or that's another tag or that's some more gear. And so I never got around to entering them in, which I, I would like to enter some in. But at the same time, I kind of score mine just to kind of know what they are in my own head, like when I'm judging them in the field. And so when I kill one, I want to know what he scores. But I don't break it all the way down to the net. I kind of go off the gross score, and and I definitely you know what? and I totally agree on that gross stuff. Um, it, it's all about the gross in my eyes. Um, you can't you can't take away from an animal in my eyes that grew what it grew. You know, of course it grew a ticker on this side or a or a drop tie on this side. You can't in my eyes. You can't take that away from that animal. Yeah, and, and I just man the net the net stuff. <laughs> I don't even know where they came up with that stuff. It's ridiculous. I think a deer should, I think a deer should get what it's got. Yeah, you know? for sure. All, all the way down to the mass. But, I mean, that's just for sure. Yep. Well, and, um, you know, just like your Montana buck had stickers and kickers that take away from its total score, well, that adds character. I'd rather have those stickers and kickers than not have them. <laughs> exactly. No, I had I have I have I had a few guys that are like, you know what, I have to score this thing, you know, I have to do it. And you know, and I've had a few scored, but you know, like I said, it really that doesn't really mean it means zero to me. Well, honestly. And- and it's tough out there in the real world, like a, you know, and I'm not saying that, that guys don't score things right, but I guess I am kind of saying that because it seems like guys will shoot scores at bucks you see, and you know it's about 10 or 20 inches over what it actually is, and so I don't know if guys just kind of guess at the score and say, well, that's a 180-inch buck, or I don't know, like on the measuring process, like you can add quite a few inches to a deer or an elk just by where you take off off the main beam, and so it's tough to get a real true score, and so, you know, when, when mine are scored down to the inch and I don't give my bucks anything extra, and my buck scores 185, but it looks way bigger than that guy's buck that scored 200, it's it's a little it's, bit... Exactly. It's a little bit frustrating. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's exactly right and you nailed it um like i said i have friends that come over and see these deer in my house because i have them all mounted of course um and they're like holy cow that thing is so much those things are so much more impressive than what they are in the picture you know because i'm i'm trying to take pictures of myself out there with you know half the time and i don't have a you know like today you know we're just now getting into um for what we're doing with good cameras and you know getting the right shot and stuff like that but 
you know, most of these things I, I have very few pictures of, and it was just about, you know, the hunt, not so much the media hype of it, you know. Oh, I know the ev- evolution, and you got to kind of <laughs> put yourself out there a little bit. But I know I wish I would have had the quality camera that I have nowadays back then. And and you kill some oh, of those sure. nice critters, and you wish you would have taken more pictures. Where now, you know, I take fifty or a hundred pictures because the picture is as much of the trophy as the animal is to me. I mean, I really like exactly. looking back on the pictures. But it's kind of like this evolution. And when we first started killing big critters, you know, there 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 wasn't this push to to, there wasn't a social media to post it on, or there wasn't this push for these high quality images to where exactly, now, you, you know, know, we know the importance of it, but yeah, it's, it's all an evolution. For sure. You know, like I was telling some of my friends, I, I, I literally have thousands and thousands of pictures of shed hunting and stuff like this. When I did it 10, 15 years ago, when everybody looked at me and said, um, why do you shed hunt? You know? I was, I was, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know if I was one of the first ones around here that did it. I just enjoyed it, you know? And I, I have like oodles and oodles of tons and tons of, uh, pictures. But what to do with it back then? I just, I, I looked at it. And that's kind of why I filmed stuff, you know, is because, you know what? You can always remember how the hunt goes and you'll never forget that when you take a big buck. But when you can come home in the middle of winter and it's during the off season and you can, turn on that computer or wherever you have it and you can watch that footage it just makes it that more that much more vibrant you know what i'm saying it's it's awesome i love to watch that stuff i do yeah that's um remembering the hunt as it was it makes total sense and and you've killed a bunch of really good bucks it wasn't just this big bow buck that you killed like you say you've got the double dropper buck and i i swear every time i look at your social media is a new buck i haven't seen of you but you've done really good <laughs> and you've done really yeah. good in a tough place to kill big bucks so exactly. you know you know i got a, I got a, I got a you know a, a dozen really good bucks and you know, I have a lot of big bucks that are, you know, in that, I don't know what people call it, 170s, 80 class in the garage, you know, um, from when I first started, you know, but I don't know. That's crazy, wife, man. She's like, you know what, you're not, you're not hanging anymore up in here. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got to be picky from now on. It's a good problem to have. I, I'm kind of running yeah, out of room uh, on my I, place too, but I love looking at mounts, but uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they're great. Yep, but uh, yeah, I hear you there. So, um, so, so you've killed a bunch of these good bucks, and you've killed them in a really tough place to kill them. Which, you know, without giving specifics, it's like Northwest Montana, so a lot of underbrush, thick country. I mean, it's tough to kill a good mule deer in and through yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all pretty much Northwest Montana. You know, I live here in Columbia Falls. I've lived here my whole life, um, and you know what? There's guys that hunt these same areas. I mean, there is. I mean, it is public land. You know, anybody can go up there and do what we do. But ultimately, in the end, at the end of the day, it's who wants to work harder for it and who wants to go further. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's kind of where I've capitalized on some of these deer. Um, I put in the time. I put the I put the time and energy into it. Um, I get up in the summertime at probably midnight and, and start hiking at 1, you know, and just to hit just to hit a half an hour of daylight man you know, I... and then i'll come and then I'll, and I'll come back and i'll do that you know throughout the summers and honestly i've only tried bow hunting deer one time well two times i i did it after the after i killed that bow buck but uh that was the first year i ever tried deer hunting with a bow 
you know. So it's 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 kind of a new thing to me, and I'm definitely going to do it this year. I'm excited about it because I always go out and I'm scouting and I'm taking pictures with crappy cameras and this and that, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, I just I, I love I love doing it. Just if I, I find a lot of big bucks throughout the summer, and honestly, I've taken one buck that I've scouted. <laughs> and that's the bow buck. Well, and they're they're the tough. rest of them are the rest of them during rifle season, and you know what? I I know where they're at. I just kind of I have my thing with rifle stuff, and you know I do love hunting mule deer during the rut. It's it's fun to me, and especially when they have those you know two three months into it chocolate horns from rubbing. I love it. I love I love that kind of stuff. But I'm definitely going to try to pursue a velvet buck this year. Oh, right on. Good for you, man. And yep. and I just love that that mindset you have. And I love hearing that that the key to your success over the years has just been, you know, uh, hard work and dedication. Like that 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 is the best case scenario for me. I love when guys work hard and are rewarded with success. And so you've killed these big bucks. But it, you would say that that the majority of your success just comes from working hard, day in day out in the mountains, waking up early, getting to the spots you need every free day you have. You're in the mountains hunting um that is so cool that's what i love to hear for sure yeah it's it's all about the hard work and persistence i mean every everybody can get lucky here and there you know but you know when you have to put it together every year it's it, it's hard work Oh, I love that you said persistence too, because I've always said that is my key to success: is persistence. Uh, it I'm, is. It's, uh, it's the key. I mean, you you have to you have to do it. You know, I wake up and you know, I'm like every other guy out there. You go for 20 days strong, and you just want to sleep in a day. But in my mind, in my mindset that I have, I that could be the day. That's what. That's how I look at every single day when I wake up and be like, okay, I don't want to start hiking it you know, midnight, one, two in the morning, just to get up there by seven, eight o'clock through Devil's Club and U Brush and this and that, you know. But it could be that one day, so and it's I just have the drive for it. Yeah, the drive is key. And and like you that um eternal optimism that you have, that's the same thing I have. And whether I'm fishing or whether I'm hunting, I always yeah, think it, that's it, gonna be the day. Exactly. You know, you have to take that everywhere, you know, and you have to. Yeah, sure. and it, even I mean, with, if I with anything you do, you have to. If you have a like a, if you have a thought that you're gonna do, you know, that you would like to do something, I think anybody can achieve those goals. They just have to put their mindset in the right place and do it. Man, yeah, you're so right. Well, and you're just an average guy, Columbia Falls, full time job, and I mean, I'm the same where I'm at. I've I've created all of yep. this just through hard work and determination. I yep. I don't, you know, I, I I don't have anything special. The only thing I've done is I've worked hard over the years to gain more knowledge, to to get in deeper in the mountains, to work harder than other guys. That's how I've created everything, and all these bucks exactly. and and bulls and and bears and things that I've harvested ha- have all just been due to that. Just just a mindset and the drive, determination, and, and, and day in, day out, you got to believe like you're saying. And even if you haven't seen a buck for four days and you're changing to a new area, you have to believe that new area is going to pan out, you know. And so you hike in there with the intent, you know, that, that you're going to find a, a giant buck that day. And you know what? If you don't find him that day, then coming out of there, you're thinking about where you're going to be the next day you have. Where's the next spot exactly. you're going to check? Exactly. You know, I go into spots where, you know, there's does or whatever during the rut and those, those spots might not have any bucks, but you know, my mindset is 
24 hours in the woods, a lot a lot can happen with animals during the rut. Or what if a new buck came in? You know, you just you can't you can't just be like, okay, there's nothing here. I'll go back two or three, four or five times, and I've I've harvested with some of these bucks like that, where I'll go back and see see a, a mediocre buck on this group of does, and then I'll go hit another spot and I don't see nothing. I'm a guy that, that I don't stick to. I don't have the honey hole. You know what I'm saying? I go all over the every mountain around here in the Northwest, and I find what I, you know, harvest. I don't, you know, I, I have a group of does. I'll go look at them again. You know, I'll come back three days later. There'll be a bigger buck there. And you just never know when that right buck's in that spot, you know? Wow, that's really cool. So so, so you're hunting, like, uh, during the rut. They let us hunt the rut here in Montana. And so you're rifle hunting the rut. But that's, I really like to hear that, that, that you know, because I feel like the same way. I've got a bunch of really good spots I hunt, but it's all timing. They're really good at a certain time, and they're not good every time I go in there. But but you just have this network of a bunch of different spots, and then even with the good spots I have, I'm just always looking for the next spot and a new spot and a new spot, and I exactly. I keep looking for for that magic honey hole, but. I think like you, I'm yet to find it. I just have a bunch of good spots, and every once in a while right. I get into some epic hunting, you know, where, you know, like the early season where there's sure. 50 deer hanging well, around. I, I, I think of that honey hole as like a unicorn. They just don't exist. You just have to move around, you know. Um, move around, you know, do your homework. Where would a big buck hide? It's definitely not by a trail system or something like that. And that's where 90% of you guys are going to they're going to steer away from that. If there's not a trail there, they're not going. Well, that buck's going to go there with age, you know. I I honestly I don't know if I've harvested a buck on the same hill out of all the ones I've gotten. Wow, that's crazy. You know, they've all been in, they've all been in different spots, but that's why I move around, you know. I don't ever put in for mule deer tags here because I don't want to hunt a specific spot even if it's a good spot, you know. I, I like to I like to be versatile. So you're hunting you're hunting different mountain ranges, different drainages, and and you'll hike Completely up completely different. I mean, I'll, I'll go 100 miles the opposite direction from any given day. Wow, and just covering country, and then you're looking for those same kind of spots that I am that are take yep. effort to get into, yep. and I then mean, you're getting off trail, I mean, and, and then are you for getting sure. like? Like go, you said, go ahead. Sorry, I, I have my certain I have my certain spots that I go and I always check out. You know, you you kind of know after hunting certain spots, there is deer here, there is deer there. So I I definitely hit those spots, but you, you know I don't focus on just my honey hole because I shot a big buck in there the year before or two years before. You know. Yes, yeah, so you remember that spot, you'll go check it and see what's living in there, and, and you probably got a network of those good spots, and then you're mixing and matching new spots all the time, uh, new drainages, exactly. new mountain ranges, whatever it is, and it's endless, right? The the public land spots out there are are endless, it seems. Like, you can always go hike a new spot every day, and, and in a lifetime, you wouldn't cover them all. Exactly. You, you won't cover them all in northwest Montana, for sure, in a, in a lifetime. I mean, I'm I'm trying around my mountains, and I'm pretty much conquered that. But I mean, this country is huge. And then then where do you go from there? You know, you got Wyoming, you got Utah. I mean, there's there's so many other places. You just like I said, you can't you can't cover them all. 
Yeah. Um, well, and, and like, um, this year I'm heading to, uh, to new, well, and I like exploring. I like going to new mountain ranges and figuring it out. Or even if I've been in that mountain range, I'm looking like, where else can I go in that mountain range? Where can I go further down the ridge, different drainage? Where's a better vantage point? I, I'm just always trying to learn things, uh, exactly. as good as I can, you know, to, to have that network of spots. But, um, yeah. Exactly. You know, and I, I totally relate to that. You know, I'm, I'm from, from all my knowledge that I have, I'm all self-taught. There was, there was no mentors for me, you know, like Primo's growing up was a mentor and you watched elk hunt and stuff like that for me, but nobody told me where to go here. And, you know, I had nobody to say, okay, this is where you go. I, this, this, the things that I've done over the years is all trial by error, you know? Yep. Trial by fire. You know, right, you know, right down to the wolf hunt, you know? A lot of guys are asking me lately, how do you, how do you get so many wolves? Well, I can tell you that 90% of it is persistence and the other 10% is hard work. Man, you know? that's really cool to hear. Um, those wolves don't come easy. You know, they started opening up states to having wolf hunting and I think guys learned really quick how tough they were to, to harvest yeah. because they're smart. Yeah, they, for sure. They're, they're, they are definitely the, the smartest animal. And that's why what drives me to hunt them even more because they are so smart um, that it's a challenge, you know. It's like the other day, you know, we were driving down the road and I seen a, a really nice cinnamon bear off the road and, you know, I was in a, a situation to harvest it, but it just kept driving. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this. You know, just it's just not my style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you... so I drove down the road and a friend of mine's like, you know what? You're nuts. I'm like, no, I just, we're going to hunt them the right way. So. Well, and it's that attitude that's carried you and, and, and made it so you found the success that you have is that hard work and determination at all times and, and not even taking the, the easy ones. I may have gave that thing a stock with my bow, cause, <laughs> but, uh, no, I understand oh, no, what you're saying. We, we definitely pull over and gave it a stock, but when it seemed the truck, it was already getting up the mountain, so. <laughs> I know what you're saying, though. That's not the experience you're looking for. That's not what you want to look back nope. and remember. You know, you want the the hard work and and uh, put in the effort, and and those make for the most it memorable is, you know, hunts. And, and but at the end of the day, there's guys out there that do that and they love that stuff. You know, so I mean, to each his own. You know, every everybody's hunting situation is a little bit different. You know, so that's just kind of my style and. You know, the next guy down the road might be totally different, but I love hearing those stories when they get excited. You know, when a when a when a new guy gets something or a kid harvests something for the first time, it's it's epic to me. I love hearing that because they're so excited. You know, and I get the same way. I mean, a lot of my friends ask, and they've seen me when I harvest stuff. I'll like halfway puke. <laughs> and sheer excitement. They're like, <laughs> if you've seen some of the social media, you know, laugh out loud posts, but they're like, are you going to puke on this one? I probably <laughs> will. Cause I, <laughs> I just get so excited and it's just nerves, you know, man, that's what we do it for. And, 
And those – so touching back on those wolves, those things, um, people are really finding out how difficult they are because they are so intelligent. There's a predator, so there's less of them than deer and elk, and then they travel so many miles. And, and then on top of that, you've got to hunt them in the middle of the winter is the best time when you can locate them and go. So you're, you know, you're post-holing through a lot of deep snow. Um, so, so you say persistence and, and determination, um, keep going for those things – um, a lot of that country you're hunting is fairly thick, but do you have spots you're trying to glass and locate those wolves? You're not really still hunting them around there, are you? No, uh, you know, I'm glassing, um, I'm covering ground. I, I love to go when it's, it freshly snows, um, you know, things like that. Yep, and so you're putting a bunch of miles on and you're glassing hundreds of miles, I would imagine, to try oh, to locate sure. a pack. You know, you know, I, I, I've been on a pack of wolves, um, let's say the evening before, and I wake up the next morning, well before daylight, get in there. You know, a lot of a lot of my spots that I go to are 20, 30 miles on a snowcat, and they're 30 miles past that, you know. So you never know where they're going to be. Wolves are the hardest animal in the world to hunt. If you haven't done it, you got to try it. I mean, if you're looking for that next level of, you know, hunting, you got to try it. It's tough. A lot of guys go out, you know, two, three, four weekends and just, man, I give up. You know, what do I do? Well, it's, you know, I, I started in the same situation. It's, it's trial by error, um, persistence, and you just got to get, you got to push yourself. It's all about pushing yourself hard. Hmm. Day in, day out. Like how many days would you yep. say you average for a wolf harvest? You know what? I probably average in between... Um, I don't get out as much as I can. I work, I work a full-time job. Um, but I, I do usually get out about two days a weekend, a week, um, on these things. And I'll go sometimes, I mean, two solid days. I'll go probably, our season starts in September 15th and it ends in April 14th, I think is what it is. Um, so it's a few months long, but I'll probably put in 30, 30 plus days of hard hunting before I even see one. Hmm. You know, yep. so, sometimes I'll go 20 days and see one. Sometimes I'll go the whole season and see two and then get those two, you know, but the last, you know, I've only been doing it for four or five years now and I've kind of averaged about two a year. So, man, that is so cool. Yeah. I've got some buddies that are really into it and, and, I, I need to try it as well. And I, I thought when they opened the season, you know, I've just got so many things going that time of year and I'm, I'm traveling for hunts and that. And I'm such a bow guy that, um, not that I don't like hunting with a rifle, you know, hunting stuff with a rifle is fun and challenging in its own right. Um, I'm, I've just been such a bow nut over the years, but I do, you know, I've, I've thought that I need to do my part and, and help harvest some wolves and go out and hunt them hard. But so I'm, I'm just glad to hear that, that your days equal like my buddy's days around here here because they talk about doing day after day after day of trying to find these things and i've been out a couple times with them glass and trying to help them look for things but um it, it doesn't sound like you have an easy road it just sounds like you're putting in the hard work to harvest those things yeah for sure no it is definitely hard yeah, uh, day in, day out, covering miles. So, um, and then you've got a couple awesome videos that I've watched with your wolf hunts, um, and, and those are posted up. Uh, are those on your Facebook page? Is that how guys will can find those? You know, yeah, they're on my Facebook page or um, uh, YouTube page on um, 
Instagram. You can get on the link up uh, uh, right under our bio on that. Uh, Sterling's Extreme Outdoors um, on YouTube, and yeah, you can watch those. They're they're I think they're right around twenty minutes each. But you know, I got a couple on there, and you know, I have like I said, I've gotten eight so far, all on video. The other ones are coming here soon. So yeah. Man, that is so cool. Uh, you got to be so jacked when you finally do catch those things and you're able to get into a shooting position on those things just because they are so difficult and you do have so many days and so much effort into trying to find them. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's like a, you know, it's a relief, you know, because you, like you said, you put so much time and energy into one specific thing. It's, I mean, Honestly, if if you put that much time and energy and that much willpower into like a high country mule deer or uh, a high country elk or you know even in a good spot, man, you're looking at you know giant, giant, giant stuff. It's it's they're they're definitely an apex predator for a reason, and they're super smart. Well, and that, they're only getting smarter by the day, you know, by the day, by the year. They're getting smart. Yeah, we're just so, educating them, right? So, All hunters out after them, they just learn. You know, from uh, it. it's exactly right. You know. I've uh, I've been in certain situations where I'll call at them with a rabbit call and they love it, or I'll call at them with a rabbit call and they run a hundred miles an hour the other oh, way. You know, oh they just, no. they're like they're like elk uh, in a way. Some of them are vocal, some of them are not. It's, you know, you just don't know what they want, so you kind of kind of feel it out. I've I've put stocks on them, I've tracked them down, and shot them right out of their beds before. You know, it's just it's tough. Oh, do you but locate you some of them? Up. Do you locate some of them by hearing them? Yep, I howl, I howl for them to try to locate them. Some of them don't. I've I've, I've done rabbit calls to locate them. Um, I've done coyote calls to locate them. But ultimately, you have to be where they're at. And the hardest thing about harvesting a wolf is getting to be where they're at. You know what I'm saying? They, they just move so far. They never stop moving. So, like I said, if you have a shot at a wolf and he stops for one second you better be on it because you're not going to get another opportunity. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. They, well, they, 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 they don't stop moving. They just keep going. Okay. Well, and it, it's crazy. It reminds me of my bear hunting and I killed one bear with a rifle years and years ago. And I was kind of like, well, okay, I got a bear. That's, that's good. I'm good on that. And then I picked up a bow <laughs> and started chasing those things. Oh, yeah. And I just got so much more respect for them and, and not, it was just like more of a challenge. Like you, like the wolf hunting stuff. Well, hunting, hunting bears with a bow is extremely tough, especially out here west where we've got a spot and stock them where we can't bait, we can't use dogs. And so you, you end up spending all these days of field and you spend a lot of days not seeing them and so i harvest bears consistently and try to give advice on how to bear hunt but but really the key to it is just like your wolf hunting it's just days of field and keep going out and i know i've had seasons where i've had 50 days of field and i i work a full-time job too but i'm fortunate to where i live close to bear country so i can be out almost every evening and and a supportive wife is a big part of that but i i am able to chase them so many days of field but but that's really how I'm successful. The more days of field, it's like the more you learn about them and you more the you learn their tendencies and what they like and what they dislike and you you build this connection with them. And then when you do harvest a bear or if you are lucky enough to harvest one, it just means so much to you because you have all this effort into it. And so that's where this, this spot and stock Montana with a bow, I just have so much respect for because it is so difficult to do. 
Exactly. You know what? I couldn't I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, you, you hit everything right on. Um, I think exactly like that. Um, you know, bow hunting, I, I started it out of high school. Um, never did it until out of high school. And and like you said, I just loved it. And it, I shot. I shot these 3D tournaments and all this, and I've taken a few animals. But for me, I wanted to take it to the next level. So I started shooting traditional bows, long bows and stuff. And honestly, I have it on video too. My first bear I ever took in my entire life was with my longbow. It, it was a cool hunt. It was a cool stock, just like you said. Um, but I, I wanted to do that. And then my next goal with that was can I can I take an elk with a longbow? So I, I used to hunt Idaho all the time and then here. Um, and I went down to Idaho, and lo and behold, I took one with my bow, with my longbow. And then I came back here, and I did it in Montana exactly, probably three days later. And to me, that was just like, okay, that was my goal to do, and it, it was fun. It was not big bulls, not big bears, but respect for that stuff yeah mad respect the the trad bow's another it's another level it's a it's a yeah, higher it's, degree it's of difficulty have, yep you just kind of it's like a i don't know it's what we do you know yeah well and i i've got a traditional bow i've been practicing with quite a bit and i still need to get my first kill under my belt i i just got so hooked on the on the compound deal and then chasing trophies with the compound but it's all at whatever level you want to take it and the trad bow is exactly. another you level know, I, I did the, I, I did the exact same thing I, I i went to that level and then i i uh I started shooting recurve and i i actually shot competition recurve and i did very well you know oh, wow. i placed you know couple years second place at the northwest triple crown with it and i was really good at shooting it almost as good as my compound and <laughs> there was an incident where i called the bull in where you'd already be full draw with a compound and this bull probably the biggest bull i've ever encountered come flying through the brush and stop at like six yards and i'm sitting there at half draw with my longbow and couldn't do nothing you know so i'm like okay as soon as he spins I'm going to pull back and I'm going to put one in the boiler, right? Mm-hmm. He did that exact same thing and I pulled back and all I seen was the rear going out the other side. So I just, all right. Oh, so heartbreaking. After that, I was just like, yeah, after that I was like, what am I doing, you know? But, and then, you know, and then the wolves came into the picture and then it made it a lot harder around here and it's definitely tough now. So. I bet. That's tough definitely, country definitely, to hunt. Definitely put a, put a dampener on the, you know, the, the elk and the deer and you just we just it's it's getting tougher and tougher every year your populations took a big hit up there huh for sure yeah they have yeah big time we were and they, and they will everywhere yes it's just a matter of time we were lucky in this country here in in valleys that were were just across from me like the gallatin valley like before they introduced wolves i think it was 1995 they killed 550 bulls out of gallatin canyon 550 bulls they checked out of there now you look at the you know how many they check in there and like a when i checked a few years back it was like i they had checked 26 or 32 bulls i mean from 550 exactly. yeah it's crazy exactly. you know and this goes back to right back where we were hunting and you know in the beginning of the stories you know i killed my first cow elk in gardner in 1991 you know i was i think 13 years old at the time um there was thousands of elk and it was a 2500 
tags they, that they used to give out and 1,900 people would put in for it or something like that, you know, so you'd, you're guaranteed a tag. Well, nowadays, after they did that, after they reintroduced the wolves into Yellowstone, they give out zero tags, and it's been that way for a while, and they probably never will. Oh, yeah, that that northern uh, greater Yellowstone herd has been hit so hard in Paradise Valley. Yeah, I, I love that valley, too. I The same way where I, I used to hunt sheds there like crazy. Uh, like you, 10, 15 years ago before, guys, I mean, there was guys doing it, but it wasn't as competitive. But there was so many bulls that come out. And then I actually had a chance. Remember that late bull tag they used to have in Gardner? Yep, 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 I do. I got a chance to hunt that. A buddy drew it. I didn't hunt it myself, but I got a chance right. to yeah, to help they, him they hunt used it. To give out like three or four hundred tags for that area. Yeah, I know it, and it it's just changed. Yeah. And even I mean, the... when I was when I was there, I I literally seen thousands of elk. It was just like uh, my jaw was dropped the whole time. We we rented a guide for a hundred bucks. Went up on horses, and the the guy's like, "Are you gonna jump off and shoot one?" <laughs> and I was just like, "Okay." So I shot shot my cow, you know, and it was it was awesome. My stepdad took me up there, and it was a pretty cool hunt. You're right. There was elk everywhere around there. Hey, I, I literally seen like it was it was beyond anything that I've ever seen in my life. Yep, and like, I got there to... was like three or four rows of probably fifty yards wide that were coming over coming out of the park into uh, Gardner there. Yeah, and it happened all day long. It was a consistent traffic. It was it was crazy. Oh, it was, there was nuts. literally everywhere. Yep. And I hunted a lot of um, bulls down there, not on the late tag, but on like the general rifle tag. I got a lot of experience chasing big bulls in that country. And, and I got to watch the wolves be introduced into that. And, and man, they, they were just decimating those elk. Those elk didn't know any better. And so they were just no, fun no. killing those things. I can't tell you how many yeah, elk. They were completely completely wrong wolves for that country <laughs> you know yeah and i, I just I, find... I don't know they weren't even they're not even the same wolves here so I, you know i get i get crap all the time about you know why are you doing this and this and that but you know i, I remember when there was none here and there was a reason why our ancestors or whatever did it 100 years ago i mean everybody asked me do you want the wolves gone i'm like no i don't i love hunting them i don't ever want to see them gone like they were before they started but I want to see him managed, you know. Absolutely. Well, and and people have this attachment to wolves, and they think of them like their dog in their house, but but they are oh, wild man. killing machines. And and I found it, elk it that they would kill and just leave on the hillside. I, I'm tons of them. I I'd find eight, six, eight in a day that would be laid on a hillside where they tore the neck out and didn't eat anything of it. They were just fun killing them, but but they do have to be managed. And I and I love them too. They're an alpha predator, and they're fun to hear, and they're fun to see, and and I like them but they have to be managed where they don't decimate our moose and decimate our elk and and finally we're able to control the populations a little bit and i know in my valley we've definitely seen them bounce back from where they were and we didn't get quite hit as hard as everybody else we were really fortunate where in the bottoms of our valleys we had a bunch of cattle ranches and these the these wolves couldn't help themselves when when the cows would calve in, in the in the winter and then early spring these wolves would come down and get into those cows and that was the only time they could shoot a wolf and so they'd call a government trapper in because the wolves would come down and kill a calf which was easy picking and the government trapper would come in and and then they'd shoot ten of them out of a helicopter and, and exactly. kill the herd and so we were able to control them and so we didn't get hurt quite as bad as everybody else but I I feel it the surrounding 
Valley sure got hit hard, but those things are killing machines and they, they absolutely need to be controlled. And when they introduced them, they told us they just wanted them in the park. Well, well then all of a sudden they're, they're migrating out of the park. They just kept moving the goal <laughs> line on us and then they wouldn't let exactly. us manage them and they just let them have a well, free for all. And so it really hurt our populations. For sure. So, so they, they, exactly what you said, they put them in the park and then they went after they decimated that they went elsewhere. Um, you know, we've never, we've never, we've never met the quota for Montana ever that I can remember yes. in the five or six years that we did it. They've always taken like, what do we, we used to get like 250 or whatever, like 180 would be getting harvest. And what happened to the other rest of them, you know? Yeah, we're not we're not meeting our harvest it. goals. Yeah, exactly. We never have, and they keep putting these quotas up, but we never meet those quotas. Well, and how so, many miles from the park are you where you're at? You've got to be three three hundred miles from the park, but they've just all migrated out and formed new packs and new mountain ranges. And, and the elk and are this is how, exactly. And this is how it happens. Here's an interesting story. Um, so last year, I took a wolf with a radio collar on it, right? And I don't have all the information on it because the fishing game wouldn't give me that information just because of where it was at and, you know, so on and so forth. But I think it's publicly everybody's right to know what happens if we're paying for those callers, you know? Yes. Ultimately. But I got some information on it, and this wolf was a two-year-old male. And it was probably 250 miles, air miles, the, the data that I got from the fishing game, two weeks before I shot it. Oh, wow. And I, I shot it 250 air miles two weeks later. Wow, that's incredible. So, so that goes to, it goes to show you what what they do, you know. Um, they always say that there's only one breeding pair, you know, in this area. Well... You're right. There is only maybe one breeding pair because there's a dominant male and there's a dominant. It's kind of like turkey hunting, you know. There's always that dominant turkey. But what happens to those younger guys that want to do the same thing? They're not going to stick around if they're not dominant. So what are they going to do? They're going to venture out. And that's exactly what these wolves are doing now. At two years old, this wolf never moved for two years. And then all of a sudden, in two weeks, he was up where I'm at. He's gonna go. Air miles. He's gonna go find his own mountain range. He's gonna, he's gonna find his own mountain, his own female or whatever, and create his own alpha pack. You know. Yep, I do know but, that makes sense. That is wild. That is so many air miles to travel. But it, it, you're absolutely right. They're just spreading out, and they're finding game animals in a in another mountain range, and then they're starting a pack there. To where now you're having a pack in every single mountain range across. Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and they just decimate the populations. And so now they're being controlled. And so we're seeing them come back in our valley. Are you guys seeing any bounce back where you're at, or is there just so much you know timber around there? Or? Around where we're at right now, where I've been kind of mule litter hunting and stuff like that, I if they're on a, a decline. Are they? You know, yeah. I don't know if it's because of what we're doing, but I, I try to get as many. I mean, I have a lot of friends that do it too, and a lot of trapping friends that harvest quite a few. Um, same scenario, you know. My one of my trapping buddies is harvested one that was probably 150 miles away, uh, collared one. So we're definitely doing our part around here. They're 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 still there. They're getting smarter. They're staying away from people. But um, 
I'm definitely seeing a little bounce back in mule deer and elk. Oh, okay, in the good. Areas that I've been targeting hard. Good. You know? So when you say that you're on the decline, you're talking the wolves are on the decline. You're seeing less and less of them, less tracks. Um, they're still around and they're still a huntable population, but um, they're not overrunning the country. And you're actually seeing a bounce back in your game populations. Exactly. We have in the last two years, or, or I have anyway, from what I've seen. Man, that's sure. great. You know, that's I, what we I used want. to see herds of, you know, like packs of 15 to 20, where a lot of times now I'll see one or two or three tracks, you know, together. Okay. So it's de- they're definitely slimming down. There's definitely plenty of them out there. They're kind of spreading out. So they're all over, but they're not those big, huge packs like we had three or four years ago. Man, that's great news. Yeah, that's what we want. We just want to control the population, and we want to hear them and see them, and they're a cool animal, but but we can't just let them take over and, and take all our game populations away. So I think it's really cool that you're doing your part and out there hunting them and, and enjoying it. And what a great time of the year in that winter time where nothing else is really going on, and, and you're out there exactly. day after day chasing those things. You know, just the, the ultimate challenge for you, I can only imagine, and, and I can just barely grasp how tough they are only because I have a certain of friends that talk that same way about them that you talk about them just how tough they are and how many days you have to spend a field for sure you know i, I love doing it and honestly I, I don't ever want them gone because during the winter months we trap we do you know everything that everybody else does um back in the day um but i like to hunt wolves and when it's wolf season man i get after it i love it i probably spend more time wolf hunting than i do anything else man that's really cool Yep. So, um, so big plans this year. You're gonna you're gonna pick back up the bow or not back up the bow. You've you've always been bow hunting, but um, you're gonna really focus on high country mule deer yeah, this year you with know, your bow. I, I have a couple of buddies of mine that have been kind of, you know, in my ear like we have to go chase the high country mule deer. You know, we got to go do this. And I'm like, you know, I I, I I do I do it all the time anyway. But for me, elk hunting, I've always been a meat hunter. You know, so. I, I've always wanted to just get an elk, and I, I focus on that during September. And that's probably one of the most, you know, prior points of why I don't mule deer as much mule deer hunt during archery season as I should. But this year, you know, we're gonna hit it. Man, and that's awesome! I think we'll be very successful. <laughs> yeah, well, you got and a I bunch have, of I have a lot of good spots, and you know, yep. and I, I see a lot of big deer, and they're like, you know, you think we'll get a couple one eighty? And I'm like, well. You know, I don't want to say yeah, but because you know how high country milder are, it's not just like okay, you find a 180, you're going to get it. But we're definitely going to find some for sure. Well, that's it. Uh, you're you're going to see them and get stocks on them, and and then it's just a matter exactly. of getting your stock right. You know, if, if you can be fortunate yeah. enough to harvest one. But um, yeah, I know you got a bunch of really good high country spots, and you've spent a lot of time early scouting for those things and seeing them. So good for you. There's no doubt in my mind that you're gonna you're gonna end up with a good one. Um, <laughs> for sure. I think we share a little bit of the same spots in some of the southern ends. Yeah, I I posted a couple pictures and instantly had you hit me up and go, hey, were you in this mountain range? And I I think you knew exactly where I was, exactly where my vantage oh, point was. Sure. <laughs> I, probably, I probably knew exactly what rock you were on. <laughs> I, I think so, for sure. Well, yeah. it's really cool country up there. It's just beautiful. And it, it does have some oh. big deer. And there's a this high country mule deer thing is catching on. And, and, and there's more guys yeah. doing it. But it's still, it takes hard work and determination. And in that country, yep. like, 
like I've showed up to the trailhead in some of those spots where I've seen 50 rigs in the trailhead for opening oh, day yeah. and mule deer you know season. What? Honestly, I, I think I may have ran up. I, I think I may have ran into you up there one day. Oh, really? Now that, yeah, now that I think about it, did you ever wear a face mask? Boy, I sure could have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I ran into you up there one day. Huh. Honestly, it was about, it was. I think it was a year before I killed my bobock. Okay. Or somewhere right in there. Yeah, it it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think I would remember you, but you know how that is. You run into guys when you're in the backcountry and quick conversation oh, or see them, and then, and then you're off to the next ridge kind of running your own program. Oh, sure. But that is totally but like, likely. But like, you, but like you said, there's definitely, you know, 50 guys up there, you know, at any given time. You know, it's public land. But are they going to that next level? That's kind of where, you know, that's kind of what you got to do. Yeah, you got to think – for me, I, I I put myself in a position where I think like a big buck. Okay, do I want to do I want to sit there on the same hillside and listen to 100 people talk and get spooked out every five minutes, or do I want to go somewhere where nobody goes and just chill out? Right, that's exactly. where your big bucks are going to be. Yep, they're they're not going to be by those trailheads. They're not going to be by anywhere around where you can get unless you really are going for those areas. Yep. You know, and working hard to get there. So. Well, in, in, if I have any advice for anybody that wants to pursue big bucks in Montana, Utah, Wyoming, you know, whatever, go in the places where people don't go, and you're going to be surprised at what you see. Man, that's the biggest secret out there that's not a secret. It's like uh, to, to get a deer that's five, six, seven years old, he has to survive those years somehow. And if you're living next to a trailhead or a hillside that, that gets hunted a lot or is easily seen, that buck isn't going to make it past three or four. He's going to get shot by somebody or at least spooked out of there so many times that he learns that this isn't the spot where I'm going to grow old. And so you're right. They find these back basins and these back drainages, and, and it's not always the the same you know what what makes a, a a back drainage good you know it could be you have to walk more miles than everybody else to get there it can be you got to go way off trail to get there it could be that you have a steep hillside in between you and them it can be that you can't glass that hillside real easy that you have to be on it to see them and and glass them down from the top or there's a bunch of different variables in there that can create good habitat and low pressure for a big buck to grow up Exactly. Yeah, you know, like I said, you couldn't have said it better myself. You know, myself again. That it's exactly true. Yeah. I mean, it it all comes from hard work. If you have the will to do it, hard work, it'll, it'll always pay off. I'm not the luckiest guy. I've never drawn a special permit in my life. I've been putting in for, I don't know, 25 some years since I was 12. So. Um, I've never drawn a special tag. Wow, you got anyway. some bad luck. Remind me not to put in with you, <laughs> you know, for a group. <laughs> exactly. I, I have bad luck, but you know what? I make up for it with persistence. And like we said, and we talked about, you have to do that. Yeah, well, and um, I'm that same way. I don't feel like I'm lucky. I feel that all my animals are so hard-earned. And if if anything, I feel like I've got bad luck, and I've messed up scenarios on big bucks, and I've spooked big bucks. And I just, you know, I've never, you know, now I'm at a at a point where I feel really comfortable with my skill set, my shooting, and all that. But but over the years, I've made a bunch of mistakes. I've got too excited. I've messed up scenarios. I, so exactly. so I've never really felt like I've had that good luck. I've just felt like the only reason I'm 
successful is from hard work and persistence and, and believing in myself. And even if I miss a critter, you know, I feel like I want redemption and I, you know, the next one I find, you know, I'm going to make that shot. And I just keep pushing day after day after day to try to create that scenario and create that opportunity. And I, I just keep believing I just need a sliver of opportunity. And then eventually it, it comes together and I'm able to harvest a nice buck or bull and, and, and it's hard earned, but I never feel like I just get lucky where I find a 200 inch deer and first stock of the day and I'm down there and I kill him. It just exactly. doesn't happen that way for me. It, it, it doesn't, you know, and you're exactly right on that. Um, you've killed some really nice bucks, very nice bucks. Um, and it's exactly that mindset. You have to go in that area or wherever you're going with that mindset that, you know, you, you can't take nothing less. So it's hard work, it's persistence, and knowing and believing in yourself to do those things. And then everything else will fall into place, you know. And it's trial by error. You have to do that trial by error, you know. You're not just going to do it the first time, but you have to do it multiple times, like you said. And eventually it will happen, and it's the greatest feeling ever. Man, you're spot on. It's it's so fun to talk to other successful hunters out there and, and just realize that we have so many similarities in the way we look at hunting and the, the way we embrace the experience. But but just the mindset, determination, perseverance, like these are all common threads that go into making a successful hunter. And it doesn't seem like any of us are just this you know, a, a super skilled athlete, like we were born with, with this killer instinct. It's all something that, that we've had to learn over years and we've had to make mistakes, but it, it's just so cool to sit down and talk with you and just realize how much we have in common. And the reason you're successful is the reason I'm successful and, and likewise the other guys out there. So anybody listening, if you want to be one of those guys that consistently produces, you know, those, those big trophies, you know, it's not about being lucky. It, it, it's about about hard work and determination just the whole theme of this whole podcast that we've talked about like that's the key to success exactly you know what like you said it's 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 hard work it's 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 a passion you have to you know you have to wake up with that knowing that knowing skill that you know what this is what i'm going to do you know it kind of brings me back to when i was outside of high school i just i just finished high school and i never was a bow hunter and i i hunted elk for my very first time out of high school. And I think that was 98, something like that. And I didn't harvest an elk with my bow that year. But the very next year, I, I kind of got serious of it, you know? And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to get an elk with my bow this year. And I did. And then, then I did ever since, you know? So it was the passion that I had, the hard work that I was willing to put into it. And then everything, all the stars aligned. You know, so, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes sometimes it feels like that hard work. Uh, like, how do I say this? Like, sometimes you put in the hard work and it takes a few years for it to pay off. Like, I, I know it I thought does. I, it I, does. I thought I was ready to kill a 320 bull every year with my bow, you know, and I thought I had the skill set and I had worked hard enough and I put in the days, 
but it, it just didn't come to fruition for like a couple years after I thought I was ready. And same thing with High Country Mule Deer. It, it just didn't – like I had to put in all the hard work and, and year after year of learning and getting those experiences and gaining that knowledge and getting better in the crunch. And, and I thought I was ready to harvest a 180-inch deer with my bow or bigger, but, but that success didn't come for a couple, two, three, four years down the line. And then it started coming exactly. consistently, but you've almost got to dedicate yourself – put in the hard work and know that it's going to come, but it is an instant gratification. Like you, you know, it, it doesn't, it maybe won't come that first year you put in the hard work and maybe it will, maybe you've learned enough and, and, and have enough experience where it does. But for me, it just seems like I was ready for that, that next level success. And it didn't come for a couple years after that. And I see that in my buddies too. I see them put in the hard work, but it still, it takes them a couple years to catch up or, or to start making yeah. that happen. And then they start consistently harvesting trophies but but i think it's those years of hard work that then eventually pay off and you do you get out of it what you put into it and it's just amazing a couple common guys like like me and you that that weren't born wealthy that don't have money to to travel around we just work a full-time job and we figured out how to be successful on trophies you know on on some of the toughest public land out there i just think that is so cool yeah, you know, I've, I've worked probably, I've been at the same job for 20 years now. Um, I've only been out of school for 20 years, not even 20 years yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's hard work, it's persistence, and it, it actually goes a lot further than just, okay, I want to go on a high country mill deer. And secondly, on my list from wolves being the top of the hardest thing to harvest is a high country mill deer. They are so key on what they do, and that's what brings me to their level. You know what I'm saying? That's why that's why I hunt them. You know, I I, I shot a few whitetails out of high school. I didn't even get into mule deer. Like I said from the beginning, I was a meat hunter, and my parents were like, you know what? Shoot the first deer you see. <laughs> we're we're going after meat. So that's how I was brought up. Um, since then, after high school, I shot a few really nice whitetails on the river bottom but it just didn't do it for me you know what i'm saying when i very first pursued my first mule deer hunt in the high country i was like i love this and it's not just because of a mule deer it's because of where they lived i respected that what i seen every single morning when they wake up or seen was it was just i was hooked and Going back from from that, you know, hunting forward, years and years of experience trying to do what I do, I don't know. I just love it. And like I said, a a mule deer in its element is just as tough to hunt as a wolf in my eyes. Man. They never never bed down in a situation where you're just going to walk up to them and they're looking downhill because a high country mule deer does not look downhill if the thermals are going down, you know? So I, as try, what I'm trying to get at is you, everybody plays the wind. I never knew the wind back in the day, but everybody does now. So when you, when you stock on a mule deer in the high country, there's very, very minimal chances that you get that you can come down on that thing. And it's very hot, warm temperatures. The thermals are going up and I can 99.999% guarantee that that buck is looking straight at you. So when you get in that opportunity where the wind is right, 
that buck's always looking up at you. A big buck will. They will never put their their back forward. You know what I'm saying? For sure. So if, if the wind's coming up, they're looking up. So everything coming from behind them, they're smelling. And everything coming on top of them, they're looking at you. So you'll never get a big buck that's not, that's looking into the wind. It's just, it doesn't happen. So what you have to do, in my eyes, from what I've figured out, is if you can get some cover and come back and you can draw and then come sideways. I've been busted so many times coming up and down, and I've told my friends this a hundred times, and we've missed some very big bucks doing that. But you cannot come up on a deer when it's looking at you. They just they notice it, no matter how slow you go. It's up against something and then to the side. So. Oh, that's cool. I uh, yeah, I never well, never realized that, but that makes sense with you saying it. For sure, but with those angles, you're going to be very success, successful for sure. Yeah, well, and and I I just like how much respect you have for the mule deer, and me too. They're just uh the places they live when you're hunting them in the high country. It's like a painting everywhere you're looking. I mean, you're just you're hunting them where goats and sheep live and steep rocks, oh, and, it's, it's, and a, it's amazing. I, I love that country. Yeah, sure. the it's, Alpen it's awesome. basins, and yeah. Well, and then the the mule deer have such keen instincts that you're. You, you know, you you get to respect their instincts and how they live. And there's there's 200 inch deer running around in a lot of different mountain ranges around the United States, but but they're really tough to harvest, you know. And so you got to be. They are, you know. There's not as plentiful as they used to be back in the 90s and you know early 2000s. But you know what? They're still there. I mean, they they are. Yep. You just got to find them. Yeah. This is what I tell my buddies. They're like, I'm like, you know, you just got to find them. It's hard work. Well, it's the new age of mule deer hunting too, where we got more people after them and and more people yeah. harvesting them, and there, there's more information out there to have. So there's better hunters out there, and so you know we just got to keep evolving with the times and and hard work, determination, keep finding those backcountry spots and looking. And I know even in in these states that are really good mule deer, the the Colorado and the the you know the Wyoming and the you know hunting a lot of these these spots, Utah and um, Nevada and, and these spots that are known for big bucks and have the genetics of big bucks they're not around every tree you got to cover miles and miles and look over exactly you know a lot of times i got to look over a hundred bucks before i finally start finding you know a, a buck that's that's in that upper echelon that upper caliber because you know yeah. it's it's tough for a mule deer to you, grow you, that old you know like, like you said you know you might see a hundred 150 different deer that are in the 150s to 60s and then before you see a 180 you know and then you get that 190 class and then the 200 class. It's just that much harder. But they're out there. They are out there. Hard. Yep. The mountains are the equalizer. Yep. You just got to work hard at it. Just continually search, continually be thinking about it and, and where a big buck would live. And then and then travel country and make sure you're looking at all those spots. And I, I never still hunt for a mule deer. I'm always, how can I see him? Where can I see him from? So I can make this calculated, precise stock on him exactly. where I can get glassing, in and try to kill him. Yeah, glassing's key. You know, um, from what I've noticed, you know, you can glass a buck up, but you know, up where we live, the thermals are going to go up about 10 o'clock in the morning when the sun hits the mountain, and it, it's tough. A, a buck will move probably at least once in that two-hour period between 10 and noon, from what I've seen. Yep, me too. To a different spot. Yep. 
So, so, so you got to, you kind of, you got, you got noon where he's going to bed down second and then you got to put a stalk on him. And most times, you know, you're a mile away from, from Canyon to Canyon. So you got to go all the way down and then all the way up. I got a pretty, pretty cool story at the end. We'll, we'll have, I'll have to share it with you, but yeah, I'd um, love to hear an un, unsuccessful story, but yeah, that, I mean, you have to do that. I mean, by the time you get to him, it's, you know, it might be two or three in the afternoon. So. Yeah, well, so, okay, so you you watch them first, you try to locate a buck, they bed down at 10, you don't make your move on them then, you wait for them to go to their secondary bed, and I play it about the same, because their first bed, they might bed in a good spot, but you just don't know how long they're going to be there, and if you can get to them exactly. in, in under like 40, a, 40 minutes, you might have a chance at them, but if... Exactly, it seems like a big buck will not, I mean, the bucks I'm seeing are bedding down to 8, 9 o'clock, I mean, 8 o'clock, they're like... The bucks I'm seeing, they're like vampires. If the sun hits them, they freak out. So if you're anywhere, I mean, a big buck does not, from what I've seen over the years of doing it and glassing them, they will not let the sun touch them. They're always in the shade. They hate it. I don't know why. It's just what it is what it is. Isn't that but wild to watch them just run it, from it's sunlight? Crazy. I, I've, watched them, I've watched them gain, a, uh, you know, five, six, seven... 800 feet of elevation when the sun is peaking on the top just to get to a spot where it's shaded. And you only have, for me, from what I've seen, a half an hour to an hour of spotting light before that sun comes up, you know? Yeah, and, so. and depends on which slope you're looking. And sometimes I find them where they like like a, a a shaded spot. So you know the the sun rises in the east. If you can find them on that west slope, they they tend to stay out later in the morning. And, and vice yep. versa, if you find them on an east slope in the evening, they tend to come out earlier and show themselves earlier. But I like what you said when you called them uh, vampire bucks because they totally are. They hate the sunlight. They're they always trying the to keep they, out. They of will it. not sun themselves. And I hunt a lot from where I hunt. I hunt a lot of south slopes just because, you know, I'm no biologist, but the south slopes, you gain more feed. You got a lot more um, nutrients in the food that grows on those south slopes. So for me, that's kind of what I focus on for feed and stuff like that. I mean, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm doing it right. But the north side of the slopes, you're not going to get the, the weeds that grow or the stuff that they eat with as much nutrients as the south side. So it's, from what I found, they've, they've always been on those sides, but they will not show themselves in the sun. Yeah, well, so. and you're, you're spot on for the country you're hunting. And every time I hunt up in that country, I'm the same way. I focus on those south side facers. And it's like a like a salad yeah, bowl yeah. in those features. But I know every yeah. mountain range is different. So you guys get a lot of moisture up there. And so the south side grows really good. Like in, in other mountain ranges where they don't get as much moisture, the south sides burn off. And so then that food is gone, and so they'll feed lush north sides where the grass will stay greener for longer, but definitely where you're at. the Focusing on those exactly. south facers is and, everything. And, and the things that I focus on on the south sides, um, you know, every year varies. You know, you got you got your hot years, and they're going to be on the north sides a little bit. But I look at those avalanche country spots. So, so you got an avalanche that comes down the mountain, you know, 20 feet deep, you know, that that's not going to melt off till late July, early August, you know, up where we live. Ooh. So, and then that, then that new growth comes up and that's what they're thriving on. Okay. So that makes those, sense. Those, yep. It's just like, you know, like we talked a little bit about 
even before our conversations about sheep hunting down south. Um, if you can find those spots that melt off late, that early growth, I love it. Oh, that makes Back total sense. And they're 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 getting ready for they're getting ready for winter. I mean, you know, so you got to kind of think like they you know like they do. Yeah, and, that, and maybe maybe I'm completely wrong on that, but that's what I've seen in the past. Well, evidence points to you're not completely wrong. You're really good at hunting those mountain ranges you hunt, and so it's good to hear your thoughts and theories about what those deer are doing and why they're doing it, because you do, you just have so much knowledge about those, those handful of mountain ranges up in that, that tough part of the country to hunt, but they've got awesome genetics up there, and you guys do have awesome deer up there, but, but through the years, you've learned like what to look for and what to key in on, so it's really cool to hear that coming from you. For sure. Well, I appreciate that, bud. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of throwing out scenarios of different areas. You know, like even in Utah, if you can find a, a spot on the north side of the slope, which probably everything on the south side, you know, melts off quick down there. You know, they don't get as much snow as we do, of course. But, um, yeah, find those late those late slides that, you know, grow late, and you're going to find game there. <laughs> For sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and and you focus on south sides, but it's funny. Then you start mixing east and west facing slopes into the equation, you know. And and some of them. Yeah. Are, well, are, you know, every every state's a little bit different. Yep. You know? Every so. state and every mountain range, right? Exactly. Yep. For sure. Don't uh, don't don't sell yourself on one mountain range. Mm-hmm. So so do you notice? So That's you've what been I tell people. you've been really successful during the rifle season and during the rut. Um, so, so they must, um, in your mountain ranges up there, they don't go as high as, as other places. Now they are just as gnarly and just as big of a climb, but you start lower and then those mountains start to end at eight, 9,000 feet is pretty high up there. And some of them do go up to 10, but so, so you find in the early season they're up high when they're rutting and down, you're still hunting the high country, but are you hunting like a thousand feet lower and hunting some of these slides and openings and south facers that are just a touch lower? Or are you still finding them in that alpine country? You know what? It, it, it goes, like I said, it goes back to the season. So it, it's tricky when it comes to this point. For me, from what I've discovered is if you're in steep country and you have avalanches, what's going to be there? Nothing, right? So if it's just like some of the areas that we hunt. Once you get a little bit of snow, those bucks move out. I, I personally think that every buck in northwest Montana is thinking about their wintering range come September 1st. As soon as they shed velvet, they're already thinking about it. So I, I've watched deer go from basin to basin to basin, but when that first initial snow melt or falls, they're already, you know, 10 steps ahead. I don't know how it is and why they know that's what happens but they just do so those high country spots become low country spots in timber and then it's tough so i try to my magical mark is you know depending on the year november 3rd 4th 5th 6th and 7th before the really big storms come generally is when i've had my most my most success for sure Okay. Um, yeah, you're so right. I, uh, you just, 
you you call it on those mule deer. They live in those high country alpine spots and around September 1st and in like, you know, and that's uh, in a, a sliding scale. Like I don't, you know, right at September 1st, they're starting to think about it. I've seen them start moving down at September 1st, September 5th. And I've seen them also holding that high country till September 15th. But it, it just seems like they start shedding that velvet and they just start moving to lower country. And so the first move exactly. is like a thousand or 1500 feet down off the top alpine basins and i i was never sure if they did it because the food burned off or if they shed their velvet and they start to get testosterone and they're starting to moving to their rut ground or i'm not sure what does it but they start to move off those tops and they're not as easy to see and they move into that exactly. secondary living and, and like you say the the avalanche shoots the little openings like they still hit little openings but it's not a big open bowl where you can see them you know feed out in it like it's just a little exactly. opening you know they feed out in it all summer long you know and they just it, it's so it I, i've watched two or three inches slide in some of that high country i mean on the bear grass you know what we have up here north um it does and they in the spots that they bed in like where i took my bow buck those spots with two or three inches of snow is sliding i mean because it's sheer rock walls and you know bear grass but they do go out in some of those areas and feed during the summer but from from what I've seen, they 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 don't want to be there. Yeah, they they just keep during, moving during during when it snows. Yep, and and so they move down the mountain. So it it could be due to snow as well. Um, but they start moving down, and then they find this secondary living spot, thousand fifteen hundred feet down, and they're they're hitting little openings and feeding, but they're bedding in more cover. They're not showing themselves as much. They get really tough to hunt, and I think. They kind of keep getting down lower on the mountain, and I think they start to look for those does come that November exactly. time. To you where know what? I, 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 I totally agree with that 100%. As soon as they shed their velvet, for one, they become a little bit nocturnal. They, they don't want to be seen in light even more than what you see them in the summer. But I honestly think they, they're thinking does. And I've seen them as early as September 15th, 20th pushing does. In the high country. Oh wow! It's it's a lot it's a lot earlier than you normally would think up here. They're not breeding them, of course, but they're already coming around. They're checking them out. They're going from one group to the next. You know, they're 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 thinking the rut. You know, that's what they're thinking as soon as they come out of LA, in my eyes. Yep, I I think you're spot on. Well, in in all of this, like discussing it with another good hunter, these are all just theories we have. Like we see what what we see in the mountains, and we take notes of that, and and we learn year after year. But but it's all in the end. It's just the theories that we have from what we see the animals doing and why they're doing it. But exactly. if you can start to yep. key in on that, you're going to spend more time in the animals and looking for the animals where they're at because they're tough to find. Even when you're in the right spot, they're tough to locate when you're when you're looking where they're actually living. And so the more you can just be looking in the right country where they want to be living that time of year, just the, the more deer you're going to be able to locate and, and more success you're going to find. For sure. You know, and, and like you said, um, if I was a, a newcomer to the, you know, the high country mule stuff, um, the best tip that I could ever give from what I've learned is go up there, make it hard work and pay attention to detail. I mean, you will learn so much if you just sit back and just look at everything in a different perspective, you know, pay attention to detail. Detail will get you a long way, I think. 
Wow. So so when you say detail, are are you talking like sitting on the vantage points, paying attention to what the deer are doing? You're paying attention to sign, probably all of the above, huh? Exactly. Everything. I mean, just watch them, you know, watch what they do, watch their actions, you know, their body posture, everything. Just pay attention to detail. Oh, I like don't, that. Don't stop watching them. Yep. Watch where they it, bed. It, it'll, go, it'll go a long way. Pay attention to what they're eating, you know. Stuff like that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Pay attention to their food. Pay attention where they like to bed. Pay attention to to how they move, their mannerisms. Pay attention to the sign you see, like all of the above. Exactly. Pay attention to when they bed down and when they get up, you know, if you have that, you know, option. Yes. So there's a a lot more to just going in the high country and then whacking a big buck, you know. You have to – and like I said about, you know, coming from side to side – um, for me, if I was to go in the high country and I seen a buck and I stopped 20 yards on it and I've put many people w- within 20 yards of giant bucks and they haven't been successful just because they're rushing that last, you know, you work so long and so hard to, to get to that point. Don't rush the last minute. You know what I'm saying? Really take your time and make it right. So slow down that last minute and and make it right. So if you can come up behind a tree and then come to the the side as slow as you can to make that shot, that's what I would recommend. Okay. If you you... come up. Sorry, go ahead, Lucas. If you come up and a buck's looking up at you, and a big buck will always be looking at you unless you're doing it wrong and they smell you 100 days before that. But if they're looking at you, and you come up straight up and down, they're going to look at you and take off running. So if you have something to cover you and then come out to the side one inch and then make that shot, you'll be 100 times more successful on the actual kill shot. Well, and you made some really good points there, like how many guys have screwed it up in the in the final the final stages of shooting that buck, the final steps to harvesting a big buck. And I think you really have to fight the urge to not hurry up and get up there and shoot, hurry up and draw those big movements. And in in the whole time you've been preaching how you move slow, and it is it's like the hands of the clock, but you you really have to be slow and 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 deliberate with with your movements and what you're doing, and not rush it in those those last 10 yards or not rush it when you're when you're trying to to get around that tree to shoot a buck or 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 execute that shot like right then and there is the time to be as cool as the backside of the pillow really think about all your movements and think about everything you're doing and just fight the urge that your that your mind gives you to hurry up and get that shot hurry up and get that opportunity like that's the time you got to slow down and take everything really slow but that's really tough to do and you, you you have to learn your lesson a few times of where you screw things up on giant bucks where you go, okay, next <laughs> oh, time yeah. I'm going to keep cool in this situation. I, I'm i going to play this different. So uh, I think you made some really good points there. Yeah, you definitely have to take your time on that last, you know, you've you worked so hard for that. So don't just try to rush that, you know. I, I recommend if you're a high country builder hunter, pull your bow back and hold it for 10 minutes. Because honestly, if you can do that, then you're you're gonna get the slow motion type that we've talked about. You know, you're not just gonna pull back and just sneak up because for one, your bow arms out here in front of you and you got three inches or three feet of limb or whatever, two feet of limb up above, they're gonna see you 
long before you can see them. Mm-hmm. So that's why I make a valid point of when you pull back, it's it's back and walk up to it. Like if you have a tree to hide behind, to put your bow behind and then sneak out an inch to the right of that and make that shot, you're going to be successful all day long. But if you are have no cover and you come up, they're going to be watching the whole time. And honestly, it's sheer luck that they're looking away or something that you don't that you get that buck. So well, and I I play it a lot, really ultra patient, where um I won't make the last move. I let the buck make the last move, and so a lot of times I'll stock within gotcha. range, and I'll I'll get to where you know I'll have shooting lanes, but I'm in range of that buck, and maybe I can see his horns there, but then I just sit and I wait, and I'll wait for that buck to exactly. get up. You know what? And, and, and move around and kind of make the final mistake instead of trying to come up or expose myself. I just get into range. I know he doesn't know I'm there, and then I just wait, and I'll let him stand up. And even when he stands up, a lot of times I won't draw because he'll be looking in my direction. I'll wait for him to look the other way or to start feeding or to start doing that, which is really tough to do when you get in range of a big buck. But a lot of times I let that buck make the last mistake. Exactly. You know, and that's a very successful move. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you don't always get that option of having the wind going the right way in the high country. You know, it's, it's mother nature. Um, you can change at any time, you know? So where I hunt, it's the wind's going sideways. It's going up. So you don't have a, a ton of time to hunt, you know, in those situations, but yeah, you made a valid point there for sure. No, you're right though. You've got to create the the create you have to, you the have to, you have to, you have to kind of you have to create what you're hunting in. You know. Yep. If if you have an opportunity to hunt on a ridge where you know they're gonna walk, they went into a timberline or a cliff line, and they have nowhere else to go, and they have to come out back this way. Yeah. But if the wind's swirly, which in the high country, <laughs> it's always back and forth everywhere, unless you have a super still hot day where the, the thermals are going up during the day and they're going down during the night. It's it's tough. So elements, Mother Nature plays a giant role into being successful. Well, and it's all a gamble and every scenario is different. And, and like where you're talking, yep. you're creating the opportunity because you're in range of that buck and you're trying to get a shot. And, and I'm not saying that my way is any better. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in range of a buck waiting for him to stand and then all of a sudden he wins me and bolts out of his bed and I never get a shot. And so it can go bad on you either way. It's all a gamble how you're going to play it. But you're right. Every scenario is different. Every mountain is different. And and every play you get on a buck is different. And and also how he's situated. Sometimes you can't shoot him in his bed. You just get into range and and he doesn't offer a shot. And so you're forced to wait for him to stand up or do something because I'm I'm not a stone thrower or I don't try to get him out of their bed. And so then I'll sit and wait for him. So every scenario is different. And every scenario is a gamble, and there's there's no saying one way is better than the other. E- each one oh, could leave sure. you could leave you you know high and dry, and each one could also harvest you a buck. So we're just both playing our odds for where we're hunting, and sometimes exactly. it works out. You know, what? And, and and that's what hunting's all about. You know what? You, you know, if we went out in the woods every single day and we harvested these big bucks, we wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, we find something it's, tougher. It's what it exactly it's <laughs> what it's all about. You know, you have to you know. It's it's the variables that you know, but then you have to put Mother Nature into it on the on the twist side, you know. So it's it's awesome, you know. You don't always win, 
The I, ultimate I challenge. That's why we love it. Exactly. It's the ultimate challenge. Yep. We we go there because we have so many elements that we have to go through to do it, but we're very knowledgeable on both parts of doing what we do. But ninety nine percent of the time, those don't work. <laughs> no matter which way you do it, <laughs> you that's so it? the truth. You know yeah, I just, do. Don't work. I mean, just, you know, you have to you have to make it happen, and has to, everything. Has, all the stars have to align. For sure. Well, okay, so you got to tell me this story of this unsuccessful buck because I've hunted so much in those mountain ranges and not nearly as much as you have, but I can I can picture the country you're in and the scenarios you're in. So so this had to be a buck in Northwest Territories or Northwest Montana and you hunting with your bow, is that right? Yeah, bow hunting. Okay. Uh, it was my second year and I'll, I'll send you the buck picture that I was hunting. I actually got 20 yards from him. And then he took off running. I didn't know. And that's what we were talking about, a second, you know, second betting. I, I, I made a move on him, and he moved, and he blew out. And oh. I had him at 60 yards. And so, I actually pulled back on him. And I'm like, that's that's 60 yards. And I, I thought in my mind, I'm like, this buck's dead, you know. And I was like, ah. So I let down. And I had a range finder right on my side. I let down. I went to range him, and he took off running. I was like, no way. <laughs> I arranged it. It was 59 yards. Oh, you so, would have drilled him. You know, but I, I just didn't feel comfortable shooting a deer, you know, that I was trying to guess at because I know big bucks, and when you shoot or wound one, you'll never see them again. Never see them again. If you don't harvest them. Yep. You know, they're just... Well, and I'm with you. It's We're crazy. guessing it's crazy how it works. Guessing yardage, I'm not very good at, and I I usually get it wrong, and I usually miss if I'm guessing yardage. So, I mean, you can't say you made a bad play. You you, you pull down, range find the thing. He's right where you want, and then you try to get drawn again, and he's gone. Yeah. No. I, you know what? I think I made the right play. Would I have taken that buck? Guaranteed. Um. But for me, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. It's kind of like my bow buck. Um. The first day. I could have shot him at 30 yards, but I just didn't feel comfortable doing it when it was that low a light. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I just, I let him pass. I let him walk. I just didn't want to spook him out of the country. And you know what? 20 some days later, I was successful. Man, how cool. Well, but I had that, I had that buck in velvet opening day. We had two giant bucks. They're probably, you probably seen both pictures in velvet. I've definitely Hopefully seen you your buck. I, I don't know if I've seen the other one, but I'm sure if I saw it, it'd jog my memory. Um, you just post some really good pictures of a bunch of different big bucks, but, um, man, that's really, that's really big of you. Like it's, it's tough to pass those opportunities and pass those shots or those encounters, but you're right. If you, if it isn't right, you don't take the shot. You either, you know, you can kill them a hundred percent or you don't take the shot. And doing that, that's the reason why you killed that buck that many days exactly. later. Exactly. You know what? I, I knew I was going to kill that buck. The, the second buck after my bow buck, probably 99%, but there was that 1% chance that I was guessing wrong that I was not going to make that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I've shot, I've shot bows my whole life, you know, exceeding high school years, and I shot them competitively. So I was very good at judging yardage and this and that, and I'm, I'm still good at that stuff. But that doesn't mean that I can just waltz out there and, you know, shoot a buck at 60 yards when I don't know the exact range. If you if, if I put an exact range on it and I knew it was 60 yards, like, 
you know, from a rangefinder, then of course. But I was one yard off, so I just I, I think I still made the right choice. Would I have smoked that buck? Guaranteed, because I thought he was sixty and he was fifty nine. But I still didn't do it. So I never seen that deer again. Oh, that's the way it goes in the high country. Yeah, I can't tell yep. you how many bucks I've, I've messed up or made mistakes on, and, and including with a rangefinder where, gosh, I had a buck in Nevada a couple years ago that I he was laying down, and I kept ranging his horns, hitting him in the horns, hitting him in the horns, getting a range, and just trying to know that exact range, and there was two bucks bedded there. Well, um, yep. that, that buck stood up, and I knew it was a dead buck, and it was it was a – pretty easy makeable shot for me like um it wasn't a 20 or it was like a 45 or 47 uh-huh. or i can't remember exactly but right in that range and so i i had ranged his horns i don't know probably 50 times while i was waiting for him to stand and i knew i had a good was, range was he, was he in any cover or anything so was, was there trees around so there was trees behind him but fairly open where he was at if i remember right but i could just kind of see his his head and his horns so there was no shot gotcha. to be taken you had to let him stand to shoot him and so I had gotcha. this this range on his horns, and, and he stood up and and had no idea I was there. I drew back, settled my pin, and I shot, and that arrow went flying over his back. And what had happened was, is my rangefinder didn't pick up his horns. It was shooting through his horns and hitting the tree behind him. So he was actually gotcha. at like 43 or 45 yards. I had the wrong range, oh. and, and I, I could have – I mean, he stood up. I, I could have ate a sandwich and range found him again, dialed my bow in, and shot him. But <laughs> in the awesome. moment, you just don't think about that. You you make those yeah, mistakes, you, you, you know? So my question to you is how tall was that tree? Uh, So the tree was really tall. I was hitting, like, the base of it. It was, like, a 100-footer. Okay, so you were you were up above it then? No, or? it was exact same elevation, and the buck was bedded there where I could just see his horns and maybe a piece of his head, and then the tree was behind so he, his horns. Exactly. So so here's a tip, and I'm sure you know, but just to the, the viewers and the people that are listening, if you get to a point on a hill where you're looking down or up, and you have bucks always bed on the upside of the, 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 the north side of a tree. High country bucks, they always do that, makes right? Makes a tree well. Yeah, so, makes a bed for them. Exactly. So if you don't necessarily have to go all the way up and range that deer. You know what I'm saying? You can step back 10 feet or get right on the edge and be low-key and range the top of the tree exactly straight across from you. And whatever that tree is straight across from you is what the yardage is of that deer if he's standing on the bottom of that tree. So... There's another tip where you don't have to expose yourself to get the range of a deer. Oh, that's a good you know one. Saying? Yeah, because trees grow level. So if you, they, you they're, range they're that... all level, and and most rangefinders now, well, they'll they'll they have the inclimator in them, and they'll adjust your level. So it's like digging a hole, or you know, you dig a hole. You, I've always been taught this when I'm shooting bow. You, you shoot straight across, whatever is straight across, you just dig a hole and go down from it. You know, so. Whatever that tree is, five feet behind him or it's right on him, I just bring to the top of the tree and it's 25 yards. Shoot at 25 yards straight downhill. No matter where you're at, it's all the same going down. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yep. Um, so, so, so trees grow level. So the buck you're talking is like downhill at the bottom of the tree. But the, downhill. But like the, if, you, if you 
Exactly. If you, you come on a buck and he's completely 45 degree angle downhill and you don't even know it looks 40 yards away, right? 45 yards downhill is, is not 45 yards. Well, it's so 45 yards. Tree. It's 45 yards away, but gravity, gravity only affects it for 20 yards because it's downhill. Exactly. If so, you take, if you take a tree that it, the deer are always behind and you just make a straight across shot, if you don't have a rangefinder or whatever, look at the tree. It's 20 yards away, but it could be 45 downhill, but shoot for 20. You'll smoke it every time. Yep, exactly. No, that's a really good tip. Yeah, Uh, range level from you. Exactly. You don't have to expose yourself to to look at that. If you you know the deer's there and he's behind a specific tree, go there, get your bearings, range the tree, you know exactly where he's at. Maybe he's a yard or two yards prior to the tree, like toward you, well, then just knock off two yards. If he's... 40 yards downhill at 45 degree angle and the tree is 20 just aim for 20 you're gonna smoke him oh man absolutely no that's a great tip it, it's so tough in the in the high country not only finding a buck getting in range but then you have all these these little details that go into actually harvesting like getting your range like getting your range is a major part of killing a big buck you know and then and then executing your shot and being able to get drawn like you say be able to expose yourself to the vitals of that deer like there's so many little details in there that that are so tough to master but you know that's like we say that's why we why we come back it's the (laughs) ultimate challenge if, if 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 anybody's paying attention to our conversation right now and they pay attention to detail, the next buck that they stock upon, it's game over. Right? They're going to think over all these little things, you know, and make sure they've got all ends I hope covered. not. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening. Because, <laughs> you know what, I've, I've given tips, but I haven't gotten into this detailed tips. You For know? sure. Well, detail. It's this long form communication is so good back and forth where we do we get into the details of how you're successful and and I think it's really good and I think um, when when we voice it it all it also brings it to the forefront of our mind where hopefully that next buck we're into we're going to get all those details right because we've discussed it and thought about it and, and theorized about it and and prepared all year long but I think these conversations are not only good for the listeners but I think they're good for you and I. Exactly. Every scenario is different. You just have to, you know, dissect it from the beginning. Yep. Well, and a lot I mean, of it comes down to hunting instincts, which instincts come from your experience. But the, these instincts that we learn over years and years of hunting high country mule deer and elk and all these different species, getting into close quarters with them, being into bow range, missing, having success, like you draw from all that, and that all creates oh, yeah. your, your instincts. And then your instincts sure. are what you really need to be successful or these really keen instincts when you get in close to make the right moves and the, the right decisions exactly. and make the right choices but it takes messing that up a lot to learn from it and you can definitely shorten the learning curve by reading listening to podcasts talking to other successful hunters and paying attention to those details but at the same time like it it comes down to your your hunting instincts that raw instincts that you've learned over your years of hunting exactly you know if i had a guy in my early years to talk to from what i've learned in my life i would be like wow, this is awesome. And most of my knowledge, believe it or not, came from old people. Um, old folks that lived it, learned it. And when I when I say pay attention to detail, I've talked to these guys, you know. 
they're old. They've done it. I, I always paid attention to what people had to say, you know, whether I wanted to believe it or not, but I always paid attention to it. So I never had a mentor to, to, to tell me what I'm doing, you know, or what I need to do, but I just, I've always paid attention to that detail and that's kind of where I'm, you know, yeah, that's yeah, that's really an intelligent way to look at it. And I've always believed that you can learn something from everybody. And even if you have more experience than somebody else, you can learn from them. They have something of value, you know, when they're talking, exactly. when they're they're talking over their encounters. And especially those old timers are pretty smart and they've got pretty good advice. And if exactly. if you can if exactly. you can listen to them and take that in, which a lot of people can, it goes in one ear and out the other. But really pay attention to what they say when they're when they're giving you advice you're telling you something and you take that to heart you're going to shorten that learning curve and and learn more about how to be successful so i I do i think you learn something from everybody they've 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 been there and they've done that so 90 percent of what i know is trial by error 10 percent, you know listen to old people but i I, everybody's opinion everybody's a little bit different but i like i said pay attention to detail because they might be completely wrong in one way but have one very little tiny valid point that might help you be successful in the field the next day oh man absolutely well well um lucas i can't thank you enough we've we've had um i've been trying to talk you into this podcast for a while and i know it's new to you but man i really appreciate you coming on with me and and uh uh, just you know what it's a pleasure of mine right on man for sure Good. Well, um, yeah, like I say, I just got so much respect for you and have over the years. You're, you're so successful on public land, self-guided. Uh, um, you're really living the dream and, and just a, a ton of respect for what you've accomplished. And I can't wait to see, you know, what kind of bucks are in your future. So, um, we have to keep in touch. You'll have to come back on and, and, uh, share with us your hunting season here. Oh, for sure. Right on. And guys can find you on your Facebook, Lucas Sterling, uh, or Sterling Extreme Outdoors on um, on Instagram. Are you you've got a, a Facebook page as well? You know, um, I, I have a Facebook page. Uh, we just started our Instagram page, and yeah, so and we got a YouTube YouTube channel right now. So yeah, if you want to see some wolf hunts, and there's going to be a lot more added to it here in the future. I'm actually working on a mother daughter hunt right now. My 14 year old daughter. Uh, Shot a giant bull with her bow. Oh wow! And my wife shot one just a couple of years prior to that, so I'm working on that right now. So, yeah, if you want to see that, head on over. Oh man, that's it's incredible! It's yeah, it's coming soon. And you're a great follow on social media. You've done a really good job with that. Um, yeah, I, I just can't thank you enough, man. Really fun having this conversation with you, and we'll just keep in touch and and have to check in with you again. For sure. Thanks, bud. All right. Thank you. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, fun conversation with Lucas. Uh, just another do-it-yourself public land hunter out there getting it done consistently on trophy critters. Um, I, I just really feel like we're in the good old days of hunting, and, and maybe not the 60s and 70s where big bucks are around every tree. you got to work really hard for them, but the opportunities out there and the adventures out there, there's just a, a bunch of fun hunts in a bunch of different places to do right now. So make sure you're getting out to enjoy it. Uh, thanks to Lucas for sharing all these tips and tactics and, and sitting down and, and, and comparing notes with me. I really appreciate it. 
Um, the sponsor for today's podcast is Bloodsport Arrows Gravedigger Broadheads. Again, guys, just super impressed with these broadheads. Um, they've done nothing but make quick, clean, uh, ethical kills for me, and, and I can't wait to put them to use this year. Um, make sure to check out the East new Eastman's hunting journal and then the Eastman's bow hunting journal. That's going to follow that, um, that Eastman's bow hunting journal won't be on any newsstand. So it's subscriber only, um, just some great information in there. Um, guys got a, uh, an article or two in there and I know Dan Picard's got one or two and, and I've got one in there and then just a, a bunch of good harvest stories as well. So super excited for, for that one to get done and hit print. Um, and with that, man, thank you guys for the support. I, I really appreciate you, you guys tuning in every week and listening to the podcast. Uh, appreciate the support on the on the social media. Um, the reviews on iTunes really help me out. Gives me a bigger standing in iTunes. And I, I'm just so fortunate. It's so wild that you can just start a podcast in your basement and, and just start talking into a mic. And they started solo and, and now we're having a lot of guests. And, and just to grow it into what it is. And, and I can't thank Eastman's enough. They've just been a great partner on the on the podcast. And, and they're really helping grow this thing. So um, just super, super stoked. Um, really fun. It's, it's fun. You know, I'm learning every week and, and always trying to get better and get good guests. And now I, the podcast is, is becoming normal where I, I'm just recording, uh, every chance I get with, with my buddies and, and people I run into. And I'm always thinking about how I can get you guys the best content. Um, so I, I'm just super stoked. It would just, what a great platform in this day and age to get on and, and talk hunting and share information. And I just really hope it helps you guys out this season. Uh, nothing makes me happier than getting those messages, you know, that, that, that you were successful and, and, uh, you know, because of some of the information you heard on the podcast or it helped you out. So, um, just super cool. So thanks as always guys for all the support. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Mm. Man, I just um down to my last handful of days here bear hunting. I'm uh the season doesn't close till June 15th. I I really thought I'd have it done by now, but um it's been good hunting. I've seen bears. It's just really tough to harvest those those big mature boars and I've had two in bow range now that I've passed up on, a blonde and a jet black that were just you know, if I, I've just killed enough good bears that I don't need the biggest bear on the mountain, but I do need a, a big pumpkin head on them and something that, I, that I'm that i real excited about and real happy with. So um, it's been a fun season, a bunch of sightings, and, and hopefully, you know, I'll get that one big boar, that last stock I need. But um, super excited I get to go to Hawaii this year, taking my family over there and then just doing a bunch of bow hunting out there. I, I met a couple buddies out there and, and they've invited me out and they're just super gracious and let me stay at their house and and hunt the ranch that they that they run or operate and um man i just um it, it it's the opportunities that it, it's opportunities that i never thought i'd have i mean I, you're hunting in a, a tropical rainforest for animals i've never seen or heard the the axis rut is supposed to be full tilt right now um it's just going to be absolutely awesome to be able to go bow hunt in a, in a different place like that is just so cool. So I'm um, super stoked for that. I leave next Tuesday the 6th and uh, gone for about eight days or so. So um, I just can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. So just getting all my gear together and getting ready for that and then 
um, just trying to get some tags. Uh, I didn't do real good in the draws. I, I blanked New Mexico, blanked Colorado, uh, blanked Utah, I blanked Nevada. So, um, but, but you know, it's, it doesn't get me down. There's just, there's other avenues and opportunities and it's just going to make me work harder. So I did pick up an over the counter tag that I'm super excited about an early season spot that I've been looking at. Uh, for a couple of years now. And so I can't wait to start getting in there and doing some scouting and hopefully I can find a good buck and, and, uh, and, and then I'm in for some second draws and look for some leftover tags. And then I've got my Montana tags. So it'll be a busy season. It'll be a great season. I can't wait. Um, so I, I want to do a podcast. I also want to do, I want to mix in a couple solo ones. So, um, I used to do solo ones when I first started, I didn't have any guests. Um, so I want to do a couple more of those. I want to do one on on second choice hunts or um, some spin of that. Um, so I got a couple ideas rattling around. So um, be on the lookout for those. I'll, I might just release them as extras and then see if we can get some decent downloads on them. Um, and, and then also let me know what you guys think about the the length of these podcasts. They started as a 45-minute podcast, and now they just keep stretching longer and longer. So I don't know where the sweet spot is, but I know when I'm listening to them, you know, the the longer the conversation goes, the more in-depth you get, and, and they're just interesting to listen to. So I'm hoping you guys are enjoying the the hour-and-a-half episodes that I've been putting out, but, but let me know what you guys think of that. And uh, man, as always, thanks a bunch, guys, for the support, and, and check in on you next week.